from Edinburgh, Radio Napier, News. Good afternoon, it's 3.30. I'm Kieran Foreman. And I'm Maylene Silva. You're listening to EN4 News. Here are the headlines. Palestinian supporters flocked to Holyrood as they backed the Scottish Parliament majority vote for a ceasefire in Gaza. That's not the only protest at Holyrood, as climate protesters united at the Scottish Parliament this morning prior to next week's United Nations Climate Change Conference. And the Christmas markets are well underway in Edinburgh, and this year, more than ever, event organisers have emphasised on diversity. Jeremy Hunt has announced a cut in national insurance, but tax burdens still rise. It has been announced in his autumn statement that the main rate will go down from 12% to 10% from January. However, previous tax changes mean many workers will not feel the benefit. The percentage of the nation's income being paid in tax is on track to meet its highest level in 70 years. Grangemouth, Scotland's only oil refinery, is set to close as soon as 2025, putting hundreds of jobs at risk. Owners Petroanias intend to turn the site into a fuel import terminal, which will result in the loss of at least 400 jobs. The company said Grangemouth had been facing significant challenges because of global market pressures. Aberdeenshire teachers are being investigated for exchanging WhatsApp messages about pupils with additional support needs. The WhatsApp messages, some of which date back to 2018, show derogatory comments between teachers criticising vulnerable pupils and parents. Although Aberdeenshire Council has stated no one was caused harm by these messages, parents will not be told at risk of causing upset. Household energy price cap to rise by 5% in January. Energy regulator Ofgem said the typical annual household bill will rise by £94. This increase comes after a drop in bills, causing the price cap to decrease below £2,000 for the first time since April 2022. This announcement follows the day after Jeremy Hunt delivered his autumn statement. Far-right leader Gert Wilders has won the Dutch election. The PVV leaders' programme included clear anti-Islamic views, with the party proposing to ban mosques and the Quran. Wilders has said he wants to hold a referendum to leave the EU and intends to tackle immigration, however has insisted that he is willing to negotiate and compromise with other parties. Axel Rose has been sued over an alleged 1989 sexual assault. Former model Sheila Kennedy accused the Guns at Roses frontman of a violent sexual assault 30 years ago, according to a lawsuit filed in the New York Supreme Court on Wednesday. Kennedy is seeking damages from Rose for intentional affliction of emotional distress and gender-motivated violence. Tuesday evening saw a majority vote in Holyrood for a four-day ceasefire in Palestine and for the immediate and unconditional release of all hostages held by Hamas. This decision was met by the sound of support for Palestine outside the Scottish Parliament. Holly Southwick reports. That is the sound of dozens of protesters standing outside the Scottish Parliament buildings demanding a ceasefire in Gaza ahead of that evening's vote in Parliament on Tuesday. Their hearts are broken. I've got friends waiting to die. Really, it's just beyond words that Israel can attack schools, hospitals, ambulances, refugee camps, places where they've told people to go for safety in the south and then murder them by the hundreds. A majority vote by MSPs has resulted in favour of a four-day ceasefire in Gaza and the unconditional release of all hostages held by Hamas following the debate on Tuesday evening. The ceasefire starts tomorrow. Nick Napier, the founding member of Scottish Palestine Solidarity Campaign and the organiser of Tuesday's protest, is urging the government to keep going and push for a complete ceasefire. That's a very powerful symbol 
but the killing continues. Any ceasefire is terribly welcome when people in Gaza are running out of food, water, clean water, and all the necessities of life. Uh, now we have to push for a permanent ceasefire. I hope to see the Scottish government renewing its call from 2014 that it made for an arms embargo on the state of Israel. I hope to see Scottish and UK public opinion, which is very, very hostile to what Israel is doing and very much in support of a permanent ceasefire. Call McHale, a member of Scottish Young Labour, is urging Westminster to follow suit and join in the vote for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Yesterday was really important. I think it, it demonstrates uh, unity within within Scotland and within Parliament. And following the vote in the Welsh Senate the week before, Scottish Parliament's followed suit. And um, that's really, really important because it isolates uh, Westminster. Whilst it's progress, it's, we need to go further. We, we need an immediate ceasefire and an end to the collective punishment of Palestinian people. Holly Southwick, Ian Furnus, Edinburgh. Qatar's Foreign Secretary announced this afternoon that the temporary Gaza-Israel truce will begin tomorrow at 7am. And staying at Holyrood, climate protesters united this morning prior to next week's 2023 United Nations Climate Change Conference. The paper boat's campaign called for urgent action in the face of an accelerating climate emergency. Tommy Hondros reports. Just over two years after COP26 was held in Glasgow, the anger and frustration over the government's perceived lack of climate action remains very real. This morning, protesters from the Paper Boat Group, a collective of environmentally focused writers, gathered outside the Scottish Parliament building aiming to highlight the plight of the planet and demand greater efforts to stave off ecological breakdown. Author Sandy Winterbottom spoke at the event. We now have less than a decade to fix this. We must act urgently, the IPC tells us. We must act urgently, the UN tells us. We are in an emergency, and yet you would not think it. The corrupt UK government is determined to max out our North Sea oil reserves, their ears deafened to all but the well-funded fossil fuel lobbyists. She also mentioned how little attention the Scottish Government are paying to their cause. 129 MSPs we wrote to, only six replied. We offered to send our boat in so that they could collect their messages from the boat, but we were also denied that opportunity too. They are not listening. Speaking to a few of the protesters, they were all in agreement. The problem facing the world is one of extreme magnitude and not enough is being done to counter it. I think uh, the important thing is that people are mindful of the extreme seriousness of the nature and climate crisis, but also that they mobilise, that they hold on to hope, that they make the most of the spiritual and emotional resources they do have to get on with something. I'm here today because our planet is on fire and our governments are doing absolutely nothing about it. So I'm here as a rep of Extinction Rebellion with a couple of my fellow rebels to support this particular action. Sandy finished her piece by giving a strong message to MSPs that are not pulling their weight in the climate battle. The climate hope is at the desk of every one of these MSPs 
drowned under the weight of paper boats. This is their final warning. Tommy Hondros, EN4 News, Edinburgh. The Christmas markets have officially arrived in Edinburgh and Prince's Street Gardens is blossoming with tourists. But if you take a look close enough, you can find a piece of Palestine amongst the busy stalls. Lita Boschko has more. Edinburgh's Christmas markets are now open to the public. Even though location is the same, this year promises to be different, according to Danny Ray, one of the producers and directors of Edinburgh Christmas. Well, this year you might see wee bit behind me. There's a very, very tall thing called the Star Flyer. That we didn't have that before. It is taller than the Scott Monument, which is kind of incredible. You might not catch me on it, but if you're up for a thrill, that's the one to go up. More than a half of the market stalls this year are Scottish or Edinburgh-based businesses. One of the stalls is Pama Crafts, a family-run business selling handmade Palestinian ceramics. They are based in Hebron, that's southern, you know, southern Jerusalem. Uh, they make them out there and we ship them over. So they made there from scratch. So they make the pieces, the shapes, as well as they paint them and glaze them. So it's, um, it's a traditional, you know, art from Palestine. Organizers have also taken into account the cost of living crisis. Edinburgh residents are eligible for a 20% discount on the tickets. In addition to that, 5,000 free tickets are available through community organizations and charities across the city. Perfect. It also brings about £60 million into the economy here in Edinburgh last year, so we expect more. But last year, there were around 2.5 million people came to celebrate Edinburgh's Christmas markets, and we hope that will increase around 3 million. So the increase of £60 million benefit the city, and that obviously creates jobs and employment in the city, so we're really pleased with that, and we hope it will be even more successful this year. This year, Christmas markets are also set up across numerous locations, including St. Andrew's Square and George Street. For more information, visit Edinburgh Christmas website. This was Olita Boschko for AN for News, Edinburgh. Almost 60,000 Scots suffer with epilepsy, but few of us are aware of what exactly the neurological disorder is. Those who are affected are asking us all to educate ourselves and not let ignorance linger. Reporting on Epilepsy Awareness Month is Carla Hollitz. Maybe 60, 70 years ago, we would have been locked away because the devil had us. Julius Caesar called it the divine possession. Throughout history, the neurological condition known as epilepsy has been cast as the medical disorder linked to unholiness. Dave McTurnan was diagnosed with epilepsy at the age of 17, but like many others, he has dealt with both ignorance and insensitivity when opening up about his diagnosis. Yeah, it is crazy. And there is still that attitude out there, unfortunately. Um, I, was, I had a seizure on a bus once, a focal seizure. And um, a woman, as I was recovering, a woman turned to me and said, people like you, like you should not be allowed out in public. That was her words. And you're just like, wow, you know? Um, so yeah, there is still a big stigma out there. People with epilepsy are often misunderstood due to a lack of understanding and awareness, leading to a negative stigma around the numerous types of seizures. After recovery, many who suffer can feel isolated and alone. When speaking to Epilepsy Scotland helpline officer Ushi Stickroth, she explained that there was more to be done on the matter. Even now, there are these ideas floating about of being possessed by the devil. None of that is very helpful. 
Um, has it improved in the last five years? I'm not sure, depending on what the kind of parameters are. I think there were people are maybe more willing to talk about it and to come out saying, yes, I have epilepsy. Um, there is possibly a wee bit more awareness. It's a small, small kind of maybe small, small steps in the right direction. There's still loads to be done. You know, you can sometimes hear in a seizure, you know, you might not be able to speak and being told, oh, look at her, look at the state of her, assuming that person is drunk, you know, these things are still going on. So a long way to go for us, I think, and for everyone. This was Carla Hallett for Ian 4 News. Edinburgh Council has voted to retain a busgate near St John's Road in Kerstorfen. The divisive busgate is in place to cut down traffic, but has found itself in the crossfire of a local culture war with heated spats which initially began on social media, spilling into the real world via rallies and vandalism in the area. Frederick Brown reports. The busgate is here to stay. Put up as part of a low traffic neighbourhood initiative, or LTN, the proposal was brought forward by Liberal Democrat councillor Ewan Davidson who upon the motion's defeat claimed the community's views were being ignored. Conservative councillors have joined the Lib Dems in opposition to the busgate, while the SNP, Labour and Green groups have come in favour of it, leading to the proposal's defeat in Council 7-4. St John's Road is notorious for being one of the most polluted roads in all of Scotland, and demands to deal with traffic citing personal and environmental safety go back years. So why the backlash? The gate will only allow public transport vehicles and bikes on Mans Road in the morning hours and afternoon. In its first two months since May, the gate's cameras have raised more than £100,000 in fines. The Accessible Kostorfen for Everyone, or ACE group, opposes the LTN and have engaged in vandalism, breaking the gate cameras twice and have been accused of intimidation tactics. We spoke to Chris Young, co-founder of the pro-LTN group Low Traffic Kostorfen. Young has been involved with community reference groups for years. And the whole point of the low traffic neighbourhood is to prevent intrusive traffic coming through this space north to south. He admits behavioural change takes months, citing cities such as London, who successfully implemented similar low traffic measures. Once fines will fully come into effect next year, this heated debate may be rekindled. On the other hand, Kerstorfenites may smoothly adapt and its toxicity will be but a distant memory. Frederick Val Brown, EN4 News. You're listening to EN4 News, a reminder of today's top stories. The majority vote for a ceasefire in Gaza by the Scottish Parliament is being supported at Holyrood by protesters. Speaking of protesters, a group came together again at Holyrood this morning prior to next week's United Nations Climate Change Conference. And coming up, we hear the insights of a gambling expert on the dangers of franchise-backed advertising. We'll have today's sports headlines. And we'll tell you about a Scottish update to one of the world's favourite board games. And now for an update on today's First Minister questions, we have our political reporter Jessica Stark in the studio. What's the latest, Jessica? Yeah, thanks for having me. The row over Michael Matheson's iPad holiday usage rambles on with Douglas Ross accusing the health secretary of, as he put it, trying to dupe the taxpayer out of £11,000. Hamza Youssef then hit back, pointing out Matheson had accepted he had made mistakes and was trying to protect his son's reputation. This was hit back and forth across the chamber for quite some time with points made against Douglas Ross's hypocrisy after his overspending at the end of last year. 
On the back of this, do we know of any action being taken or was it merely just a debate on cabinet honesty? It's a very good way of putting it. Just before the FMQs, we did learn that the SPCB, the Scottish Parliamentary uh, Corporate Body, will investigate the issues further and we will just need to hang tight to hear back from their findings. But back to your point on the Cabinet's debate on truthfulness, and as Sarwar made claims against the Scottish Government's problem with the truth, as he put it, and questioned the First Minister's truthfulness on several accounts through the R, with a focus initially um, of him backing Michael Matheson. Yesterday was a big day for UK politics with the autumn statement coming out. Was this mentioned at all? It was definitely not the main priority of the Cabinet today, which was a surprise to many. I have to say for... Um, the brief time it did come up, the First Minister said yesterday's autumn statement was dismal um, and was the worst case scenario for Scotland um, and the NHS in particular. The Conservative government have put a lot of faith in the statement's success and usefulness. Was there a similar comment in Holyrood this afternoon? Well, if the FM's word choice of dismal wasn't enough, the Scottish Conservative Party definitely began to fight back after the First Minister, Hamza Youssef, made the comments that we're once again at the mercy of poor government funding and again reiterating that it was the very worst-case scenario to Scotland's health care budget. After this focus moved on, um, they went to the Grangemouth refinery closure um, and a change to sustainable heating systems in homes, which ultimately brought up the question of just when will the climate change plan that was promised to us earlier in the year be published, to which the First Minister responded with an almost shrug of the shoulders response, following with an absolute assurance the government will do everything it can to ensure a sustainable future for Grangemouth refinery. Well, thank you for the roundup of today's FMQs. That was Jessica Stark, our political reporter. A new study has found that the introduction of independent, safer gambling messaging could help to reduce gambling harm in the UK. Research from the University of Swansea found current gambling industry-backed health messages to be less effective than ones which had been independently developed. Sean Donnell-Berry reports. Take time to think gamble responsibly. The effectiveness of these messages developed by the gambling industry has been tested by researchers. They were measured against independently developed safer gambling messages, which were found to be far more effective. One of those behind the study is Jamie Torrance, a researcher at the University of Swansea. You just get these messages that seem on the surface like they're doing something good, but after some sort of in-depth research, you quickly discover that they that they have no impact at all. Anything, at least to my knowledge, that has been released by the gambling industry will never mention loss or harm or depression or addiction. When you have these independently developed, say, for gambling messages, they're based off interviews with gamblers, looking at all of the previous research, and they very often contain some reference to harm or addiction. They will also contain some call to action. So you're telling them how harmful it is, and then you're also recommending that they actually do something about it, which is very different to take time to think, because that's almost like a call to action to do nothing. Much of the most visible messaging we see comes from organisations funded by the gambling companies, and many see these health campaigns as disingenuous. Director of Edinburgh-based Scottish Health Action on Alcohol Problems, Eleanor Jane, sees parallels with alcohol marketing. What these organisations, these SAPROs, as they're known, do, is they um, will frame health messages, so they'll say, um, please, you know, think before you drink, whatever it may be, whatever the message is, but they'll have an image of someone attractive, 
having fun in a bar with a nice drink in front of them, which completely contradicts what's in writing. And obviously all these um, industries will, will learn from each other and use similar tactics. The UK government intends to introduce independently developed messages from next year. But whether this change in messaging will make any real difference remains to be seen. Sean Donald Barry, EN4 News. Now, the latest sport highlights on Radio Energy. The English FA are examining their policy on trans athletes after rival teams refused to play against a trans player in Yorkshire. Trans Active, part of the inclusive sports charity Leap Scotland, are currently running free football sessions in Edinburgh and Glasgow to create a safe space for trans and non-binary people to play. Jamie Emma reports. What would you do if the sport you loved told you that you couldn't play unless you submitted to yearly medical testing? This is the reality for women like Jasmine Angove, who has spent the last eight weeks running football sessions in Edinburgh and Glasgow to share her love of football with other trans and non-binary people. I always loved football growing up, but then I fell out of it before I transitioned just because it wasn't a safe space. And then the women's football team and got back into football and I realised how empowering playing football like, and how affirming it can be. Even the cold November drizzle can't dampen her enthusiasm or deter the 20 or so trans people who joined her on the pitch last night to play as themselves. It's a fundamental human right for people to be safe and to like be free from harassment and hate. And that applies to sport as well. But not everyone agrees that trans women like Jasmine should get to play on women's teams. The FA is currently examining their policy on trans athletes after four teams in a Sheffield women's football league refused to play against a team that included a trans woman. You've got the fear of not being accepted, but that fear is often based in, like, reality, and that you often won't be accepted. The FA's policy for trans athletes is already strict. To play for Rossington Maine ladies in the first place, Francesca Needham had to show that she was undergoing hormone therapy and her blood testosterone levels were within the normal range for cis women. The FA say these regulations exist to minimise any gender-related advantages, except that these gender-related advantages don't exist. I play in a quite a high-level league. On my team, I am not the tallest, I am not the strongest, I am not the fastest, and I'm certainly not the best at football. I often get knocked over by 16-year-olds. In 2017, a paper published in the Journal of Sports Medicine concluded that there is no consistent research showing that transgender female individuals have an athletic advantage at any stage of their transition. Despite not being backed up by science, a number of sports governing bodies have banned trans people from playing over the last few years. This makes safe spaces for trans and non-binary people to play sports increasingly important. Like groups like this give people a space to play where you don't have the pressures of regulations, you don't have the pressures of like gender changing rooms, you don't have the pressures of other people on your team not accepting you because everyone accepts you. The FA says that the game exists for everyone and Jasmine wants to help trans people see that it does, that football can be for them, even if the FA ends up deciding that she's not allowed to play herself. This is Jamie Emmott, EN4 News. Continuing on the theme of football, here's Callum Odin with the latest on the sport. Yes, thank you, Kieran. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's great to be here. <laughs> the Euro 2024 playoff draw has been completed. What's the big takeaway from that? Uh, the top story from that is Wales will be playing Finland. Uh, a win against the Finnish will set them up for a decisive playoff final against either Poland or Estonia for a place at next year's tournament in Germany. Yeah, that's going to be a big game. What else is happening in the world of football? 
Uh, the English FA have announced that uh, the Wembley Stadium Arch will all, it will only be lit for football and entertainment purposes. Uh, the new policy comes after the FA faced criticism from the UK government in October for refusing to light the arch blue and white in support of Israel, uh, who described the decision as disappointing. Um, from now on, the FA will restrict the lighting of the arch to f- uh, far fewer occasions in recognition of uh, the fact that it is a venue for football and entertainment and not politics. Thank you for the update on the football. Now on to the world of curling. The European Curling Championships are well underway. How are the current champions Scotland faring? They're they're doing well. They're uh, hoping to maintain their winning ways in the European Curling Championship as they prepare to face Finland. Uh, So Bruce Mouet's side sits second in the round-robin table and have already qualified for the semi-final with six wins from eight of their uh, nine matches uh, uh, with an unbeaten Italy sitting top after eight straight wins. And I believe there's hope for further success for British sport in the Davis Cup. Who's in the way for British Triumph? Uh, so they continue the Davis Cup, uh, Team GB continue it, against uh, Novak Djokovic's Serbia uh, in Malaga. Uh, Andy Murray and Dan Evans are both out injured uh, for Team GB, so it's likely that Jack Draper will start against Laszlo Dieri and uh, British number one, Cameron Norrie, will face Djokovic. Uh, Djokovic, you know, that he'll be wanting to continue a, a brilliant year, uh, having won three majors and reaching the Wimbledon final. So it will be it will be a tough game. Yeah, never an easy match against Novak Djokovic. How are Team GB feeling ahead of the match? Uh, there is hope in the British camp, definitely, uh, despite you know it being a tough game. Uh, Nori spoke about how he's preparing for this challenge. I've kind of known for the last month now that I've been playing him, so I've been yeah preparing. Uh, as well as I can, a lot of two-on-ones, a lot of running side to side, and I have to do that again. To have a chance, I'm going to have to go out and execute, serve well, and um, yeah, play the big points really well, especially on my terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be a tough game, but the winner of the tie will face Italy or the Netherlands in the semi-final on Saturday. And that's the latest from Sport. Back to you, Maylene. The classic board game Scrabble will launch its Gaelic edition for the first time next month in hopes to revive the dying language in Scotland. With less than 57,000 people speaking the language and just 29 senior schools teaching it to pupils, it is clear to see why it is on the decline. Miles Campbell reports. Scotland, a nation that is rich in history and culture, or so we are led to believe. Some things have not withstood the test of time. Our indigenous language Gaelic feels like a thing of the past, but a resurgence is on the horizon with the introduction of Gaelic Scrabble. This is Isla Parker. She is the Gaelic and Community Officer at Edinburgh University. I come from Dumfries and Galloway, so there's not a lot of Gaelic down that way. Um, I started learning when I came to university in Glasgow. Yeah, and then I was at Solmorostic, the Gaelic College on Sky for a year. So yeah, that's that's kind of where I learned. Gaelic is great in the classroom, but kids also need to be able to use it in a kind of social way. So games and things like that are probably going to be really helpful. This edition of Scrabble was pushed by Untai Kaley, located in Stornoway. The aim is to make Gaelic fun and accessible for people that are unfamiliar with the language. I think it's important that, you know, language is about communication and it's about having fun as well. And if it's too strict or if it's too much about your grammar correct or how good is your Gaelic kind of thing, then people are just not going to like it or enjoy speaking it. It's important that it's fun. Uh, and one, one of the fun things about Gaelic is when people use Gaelic in English sentences, it always really makes me laugh. Hopefully this inspires future generations to learn Gaelic. Miles Campbell, Ian4News.
Speaking of words, hollybobs and amazeballs among words voted most irritating by Britons, according to a poll. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw my auntie post that she had an amazeballs at hollybobs last week. It just had a major eye roll at that one. It is definitely my auntie's favourite on Facebook. This is Radio Energy. Travel. Drivers are being warned to remain cautious when crossing Tyne Bridge due to high winds affecting driving conditions. The A1 is currently closed to all traffic due to an overturned lorry on both carriageways and the 4th Road Bridge has been closed to all double-decker buses due to high winds and unfortunately, people should expect delays. Now, the weather on Radio Energy. We've seen heavy showers in the west this morning and lighter showers in the south with the afternoon having some drier spells and further rain continuing. This evening's weather is showing a dry but cold night with minimum temperatures reaching minus one degrees. Over the weekend, we'd certainly recommend you bring a cozy jacket as we expect to see frosty dry spells with the occasional rain across Lothian. Here's a reminder of today's headlines. The Scottish Parliament majority vote for a ceasefire in Gaza sees supporters march at Holyrood in support of Palestine. And as we approach the United Nations Climate Change Conference, protesters are calling for urgent action. And the organisers of Edinburgh's Christmas markets have ensured there is something for everyone at this year's stalls. That's all from us, Ian for news From us and the rest of the team, have a very good night. Live from Edinburgh, Radio Napier, News.